Hello there, and welcome to another edition of Best of Worst of British, a podcast that looks at the worst examples of British cinema. So basically, whenever you're looking for hammers, we try and find the spanners. I am your host for this episode, Thomas William Hodkinson, back from his excursions in Central and Northern America, looking for the greatest new talents to bring to the Polar podcast. Sadly, none out there. And I am not alone in this venture. Who do I see? Who do I see there? Who is that sat over there? The other person you see on this journey with you is the one constant throughout all of these episodes, <laughs> the, the glutton for punishment that is Lorcan Mullen. Hello, Lorcan. Uh, oh, you may oh. notice that there's only two of us again in this episode. Michael Barnes decided, uh, well, where is Michael this time? Where Where is he? Because he, he missed an episode before last series. Yes, last time it was because of trains. Uh, he couldn't get to my flat. This time I think he's travelling as far away from our flats as possible. <laughs> Not so much. Well, the last one was trains. I think this one's planes. Yes. I think the next one will be automobiles. Hopefully so. so. Hopefully so. Before people wonder, when we do do the end of year rankings... Tom is not gonna is will have seen all twelve films, so Tom does have to watch Goal. But frankly, Tom, you've definitely not drawn the short straw as far as catch up goes, because Michael will have to watch this at some point in order to rank it. And boy, oh boy, do I think it's going to be ranked. Well, I don't know whether you define it as high or low. But Tom, what are we talking about today? <laughs> when you're on about ranking, this one ranks quite highly. This particular episode has been brought to us by uh, one of our listeners, Robin Harvey. I suppose thank you yeah. for, for bringing this to our attention. <laughs> uh, it is the 2007 horror movie? It's horrific. I'll say that. It's, it's pretty horrific. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Devil's Chair. During the 1950s, this place was an institute for mental health care. And asylum. This is where the incident supposedly took place. Four years ago, Nick West was put away for the brutal murder of his girlfriend. It was a clear-cut case, but Nick doesn't remember. And the body was never found. One person has the slightest doubt. I am not as convinced of your guilt. About what really happened. And only one. Me, Nick West. Knows what's about to. I do wonder when I watch this, because I had looked at our output for this year, and I did have the feeling that we were going, we've been quite nice to ourselves in relative terms. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what I mean? Um, in relative yeah, we... terms. I'm, look, I'm just looking at the year now so far. We've watched Holiday on the Buses, Love Actually, Mad Cows, Take mm. Me High, The Mother, Zardoz, Goal, and now this... I mean, there's, there's some, some have been bad, like Mad Cows and and to, obviously to Michael Zardoz. Hey, I'm 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 on the Zardoz train. It's definitely one of the most bizarre things I've ever yeah, seen in my yeah. life. I mean, right now I'll say it right now, this is the worst film I've seen for this show since Zombie Women of Satan. This is a, a special shit tier list film. 
I've never watched a film for this show in all the time we've been doing this and felt genuine anger. Mm. Like I, I know, I know, I've got, I've built up this sort of weird quasi reputation of being like just angry for no reason. <laughs> I have all the best reasons in the world to fucking hate this. I hate yeah. it so much. I've never been more offended watching a film in all my goddamn life. Ooh. It's a slap in every single face. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it more than racism. It's so bad. <laughs> It's That's... abhorrent. There's no redeeming quality to it, and it's absolute dog shit. Oh, <laughs> I'll lay God. a lot of the things at the feet of this director. One of which, and this was my overriding note. This was my note I put at the top of all my notes as I was making it as I went along. I did it quite appropriately in red ink as well whilst I was doing it. I bet this director loved Revolver. This director thought Revolver was a masterpiece. <laughs> Which was the what? first film that we covered for Boab. And this film makes Revolver feel like watching a Scorsese movie. Especially in its use of voiceover. It's very odd that you bring up Revolver. Because the actor in that stars in this film... Yes. A man that's got a lot of work. He was in the uh, Watchmen TV series as Red Scare. Not a major Why? part. But, but he was good enough in that. And I think that's his level. Interesting looking goon slash... Supporting character, character actor. Sorry, I'm literally just trying to find his name now, and I can't. Eat. I think Google Chrome has decided it wants nothing to do with the Devil's <laughs> Chair as well. <laughs> Andrew Howard is mm. the star of this film. With a bit of research, you may remember he was also in Revolver. Uh, he's Jason Statham's brother in that. Yep, uh, Poundland Statham in this movie, mm. and he also appeared in Rancid Aluminium, which makes oh, him. Man. Bob royalty. I oh, think he's. <laughs> I think he's literally now had a film in every series that we've been doing this, and I think that awards some notoriety. He's one of those actors. I think he had this face when he was like twenty-five, but he had the same. He'll have the same face when he's fifty-five. And I'm just looking at him on IMDb and his filmography, and he's known for. And these are the characters that he plays: Gennady. Anton Masovich, Bad Frank Phillips, Maxim, Reg, Merck, Dimitri, Driver, <laughs> Oleg. Bad Frank Phillips. <laughs> yes, that was his name. Bad in, in quotations. Frank Phillips. Fuck my life. He's done quite a lot of work with quite a lot of interesting people. Yeah. And they are all shit. Well... Oh god, it's, there's so much to really get into here. He was in Perry Mason, the reboot. Mm, he was in. He was in Tenet. He's one of those guys that walks alongside the lead character, holding a gun to his side. Exactly. He <laughs> is. He is very much a side piece to the main plot and the he, main characters. There's no fucking way he should be the lead. He is not a leading man. No, he's and not I'm not saying lead. that because he's not conventionally good looking or anything like that. He does not have the charisma. Or at least at this point of his acting career, the versatility to be a leading man. And also when you give anyone this material, you could give Robert Downey Jr. this script and I don't think he could make anything from it. Oh God, can we, can we mention the script? Can we just go into the script quickly before we do anything else? Yeah. Because I know this was written by the director and an extra writing partner. They always work together. Fuck them. Fuck them <laughs> both. Fuck them both in their fucking faces. 
I hate them. I hate them with all my bitter heart. Yeah, I mean, I've realised, I think, for me, the overriding concept, the the theme of this podcast now, I think I really came to it with Village of the Damned, is that question of, is it worth making something, even if it's shit? Because at least you've done something. That's why we always make sure to ridicule ourselves at the end of it, that we, we take all the time making fun of it, but all we've had to do is watch a movie. We haven't had to make a movie. Even the worst movie takes so much effort to make. Yeah. So is it better to be innocent and just go ahead and do it? Or is it better to have a certain level of self-awareness and self-critical functions and know that if you made something, it would be bad, so it's not worth making it? This is a movie that very much leans towards the the other side, that it's better to be self-aware and not to have made a movie rather than made this movie. But this guy has been in constant work. The director, writer, editor. I noticed he gave himself an editing credit in this as well. (laughs) He has constantly been working. I think he's got the credits for directing loads of music videos. He continues to make films. He was the man who made the first COVID pandemic film of the... (sighs) pandemic era like in 2020 what he was made that one? a film. songbird yes that looked shit it did and but the cast that they got i guess because they had nothing else to do but he got like demi moore bradley whitford craig robinson alexandria daddario peter stromar it looks like they all probably did like one scene because they were in lockdown and they're like nothing else to do but it I, it just he, he's kept going he's kept going and he's kept making stuff it's obvious that this is a man with an ego, because as you said when we were sort of conversing ahead of time, because again, WhatsApp support network. Yeah, I thought at one point you said was um because you asked to push this recording back half an hour because you were running a bit late, and I said I think I need that extra half hour to have a thirty minute shower, and you replied there is not enough hot water in the world. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they just don't make water hot enough to scrub this off your brain. It's so on, but like fuck's sake, it's just why. I hate that it even exists. <laughs> I hate that it actually exists in format, in digital format, in disc format. <laughs> I hate that it, it it literally was made at any point by any person in any length of time at any point in human history. The fact that it, it exists and now I have seen it, I feel like I'm going to die in seven days like the fucking <laughs> ring. I fucking ha- I can't. I'm going to be so... Like, you're going to have to throw bleeps in here at some point because I'm going <laughs> fuck off scale well, when it comes I mean, to the blue language in this episode. Oh, yeah, the language in this in the script as well, though. It was like... Oh, my God! All... How many times do I not want to hear the word c***? <laughs> How many f- times? Oh... It was the laziest, shittiest writing that could have possibly been. I mean, all right, we will get to the ending... Because yeah. f- everyone involved in that f- film, even Matt Berry's gone down in my estimations because he was involved in this piece of shit, and I'm pretty sure he went in blind and innocent. Let me ask you this right now: Did Matt Berry do this for a joke? Because I want to believe <laughs> that Matt Berry spent the whole time in character as as either a, he was trying out the Stephen Toast character. And maybe that was what he was playing before action and after cut. He turned into Toast. Or a continuation of the character that he plays in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. I definitely get more Dr. Rick Sanchez <laughs> than I do um, do Stephen Toast. But I, I totally got where you're coming from. Maybe even a smattering of Laszlo from 
what we do with yeah. the Shadows. <laughs> it is like, why is he doing this? I think maybe the director was a fan of Garth Marenghi. Because I do think this director thinks he's above this. He makes it very explicit towards the oh. end that he thinks he's above this. Yeah, yeah. One of my favourite lines in all of Garth Marenghi in the first episode, when there's like a slow motion sequence and he cuts to Riachuelwadi's character, <laughs> Dean Lerner. He says, there was a lot of slow motion in the, in the show. Sometimes our episodes were coming in seven, eight minutes under time. And so we had to do it in slow motion in order to make it reach the, the time needed for a TV show. But this this basically was a 45-minute yeah. short film that was extended to an hour and a half for some very key moments. Thanks to lots and lots of freeze-framing. Oh, God, freeze-framing and then unnecessary narration over the top. You're not f- Guy Ritchie, stop it! I think this guy saw Revolver and thought, I want to do with horror what Revolver did with gangster movies, but he thought that was a positive. But then throwing elements of f- Fight Club towards the end. Oh no, maybe I've spoiled it. Please don't watch this film! So let's give a blow-by-blow account of it, uh, Tom, including the blow at the start. So... Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus f- Christ, I forgot about that. Okay, okay, right, okay. We're just gonna we're just gonna power yeah, through. Power through. We're going to make some humorous observations. We're going to make some light to this. There's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel. And then I never have to see this f***ing atrocity ever and again. Also- I'm already going to claim it now. This, come the end of the year, when we do our big end of the year, oh, what was the worst thing you saw? This is it. This is. There can't be anything worse. If there's anything worse, I'll shoot myself. It will take a lot to beat this film. <laughs> in, in, in- it's, it's a f***ing atrocity. It should be used... To torture victims in Guantanamo yeah. f***ing Bay. It's a special, it's, it's a special shit tier list. It's this rancid aluminium, uh, bullseye. No, no, this this goes above rancid aluminium. I think this goes above bullseye. I think this may be the I worst thing we've don't... ever watched. That makes me the worst thing I have ever seen in my entire fucking life. The thing life. is, I I don't know if anything's gonna beat Bullseye Myers. I'm genuinely curious to see if Michael hates this more than Zardoz, because it's just like, as pretentious bullseye... as Zardoz was. Bullseye was long. It was stupid. <laughs> it was unnecessary. It, it, for some reason, it the only thing that I would say puts Bullseye above this in terms of the shittest is because you had people like Michael Caine and Roger Moore involved, and you wasted both yeah. of them. Whereas this, this just takes a cast of at the time nobody's plus Matt Berry, who was kind of starting to get places at that time. And it, it shat out everywhere. I think also what's interesting is so many of these films that, that are the worst have a certain level of misogyny in them. And I think it's because the misogyny is so rampant in Bullseye that I often still tear it above other ones. And it's like... But it's rampant here! But not as rampant as Bullseye. It's rampant and violent. It's horrid. It's genuinely horrid in a different kind of way to it's, Bullseye. It, it, Genuinely, like if someone had dropped a copy of Nutmeg <laughs> in a dirty puddle, and that dirty puddle was then dried out on a radiator in a sex dungeon, and then that dirty puddled magazine went and directed and made a film. I was going to say that dirty puddled magazine then beat a homeless person to death, <laughs> <laughs> and then it made a film. Yeah, right. So we're going to go back to it. 
He's like uh, light at the end of the tunnel because, appropriate enough, this starts off like all cool badass people do. A guy lights a cigarette, smokes it, and says he's going to tell you the unvarnished truth. And then I could have sworn he throws the cigarette away after two drags, which loads of people do in these sort of films. And I'm just like, what a waste of a f***ing cigarette. If I know anything about cigarette users, they are burning it to the butts. <laughs> they are bumming cigarettes off each other in the street. They are not taking two drags and putting it out on the floor. Oh, God, I'm getting PTSD just thinking about doing this. Okay, let's... So, so we start off, there's no production logos or anything because what f- production house would want to make this? <laughs> As you say, in the introduction of the character Nick, almost like he's being interviewed, very moody, very dark. He's got a hoodie on. He's smoking his f***ing cigarette because he's hard, you know? Cool. Yeah, he's, he's very cool and niche. And then tells us he'll tell the tale. And then we see flash forwards, almost like... The, you remember at the start of, uh, like, Stingray or Thunderbirds <laughs> where he used to preview what was going to happen in the episode? Anything can happen in the next half hour? Like, f***ing did, didn't it? <laughs> you literally get a glimpse of, like, the monster that's in the film. It's got, like... It's, it's almost... At that point... You've been about two years into the revival of Doctor Who. It was like nowhere near that scale, but it had that sort of initial vibe to me. Yeah, I think as far as the monster goes, as far as things that you could say nice about it, I don't think the monster's too bad. Uh, especially when I think the film was listed somewhere as having a budget of £150,000. I might be wrong there. If that's if that's the monster you can make of £150,000, that's impressive. I'll give them that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a grotesque amalgamation and that that they've done yeah. right but then what they've done wrong is they've added in flies yeah. that don't look like flies in cgi yeah. but they threw in the fly sound noise off the back of it like why uh so also very early on in his narration i made a note that he does reference other horror films and i was like ooh, that was literally my notes Ooh, <laughs> how clever i think they mentioned they mentioned pumpkin head so it's like oh look at me with my deep cuts <laughs> <laughs> so anyway we, we get introduced to the main characters throughout this film uh, including for some reason matt berry is there i can't remember his character's name so i will reference him throughout as just being matt berry we get told basically that none of them made it out alive apart from this character nick west by the way can we just pinpoint nick west being the most f- basic name yeah i've ever heard of a character apart from guy blokeman <laughs> that was his character name in revolver actually all right <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, i'm guy blokeman this is my brother dave blokeman I, I know you shouldn't but his welsh accent just threw me i thought i don't know why but <laughs> no bet yeah yeah i forgot he was welsh <laughs> Like, it's, it genuinely comes out as a surprise because everything you see him in, he's trying to be a mock thing. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, it's like, oh, fuck, yeah, I forgot. You're from you're from another country. And this it, is interesting. And it is hard to be all gruff and tough. And <laughs> it's just, oh, he had a bad time here in this in this here abandoned asylum I did. Oh, boy, oh, I tell you. <laughs> right, what sections of Wales have you been visiting? <laughs> that, that was like fucking West Country. Yeah, I, well, you know, it's in the West. It is the West of the United Kingdom. <laughs> I've, been, I've, I've been looking at the ladies I have. <laughs> and I tell you I tell you I've been punching above my weight here I tell you that much now <laughs> I tell you I've been I've been looking at the ladies in the magazines now <laughs> and I can tell you for sure I like it <laughs> I like it a lot this was the first point I went oh f- 
you directly <laughs> at the screen is where remember when we used to keep a tally of that when when tom says F- you for the first time yeah it was when when one of us said F- you, it was mike's F- you character as well <laughs> that, that was beautiful but and my first F- you came in within seconds with the phrase we should rewind here and then the footage rewinds Ooh. but the narration keeps going Ooh, so it's like michael hanneker <laughs> <laughs> It's the most f*** you say. You're like, oh, f*** off. Stop stop trying. You know what you are. Just be what you are. Or f- it doesn't off. want to admit what it is. It thinks it's exactly. better than what it is. That's that's really annoying. Oh, yeah. oh that, that doesn't that show later on. We'll get to that. Anyway, we should rewind here. And we go back to finding Nick running around like an asshole, going towards this empty asylum with uh, a girl who describes as sweet girl, sexy, filthy. I won't bore you with the details. Oh, great. That's... You know, love your life and you're just summing her up like that, you prick. Is there anyone that looks forward to having sex in an abandoned building like that? It can't be comfortable. I thought that. You've got to be into the rough stuff. <laughs> I mean, you'd imagine there's like broken glass yeah. everywhere. Yeah. There's going to be, you know, the uh, it's open to the elements as well. So dirt and f-ing just dead leaves all over the place. Who thinks, ah, you know what this is the perfect place for? Blowjobs. This guy, apparently. And also a perfect location to take tabs of acid. Because this is initially where we started getting the uh, the pauses. Yeah. Because I was playing this off my laptop. I genuinely thought that my player kept freezing. <laughs> and I had to like keep pausing it and restarting it so it could catch up. But no, that's just genuinely what the film's like. So, f*** you! I do think, because this film is barely 90 minutes with credits, opening and closing. So I think if you removed all the freeze frames in this film... I think this film would be about 60 minutes tops. I think 60 is generous. You're looking at yeah. about 12. <laughs> it genuinely it feels like... You remember... Oh, God. What other film did we see that was like this? It was uh, slow motion moments in... Uh, cashback? Yeah, I think it was Cashback. It was a lot of slow motion there. That felt... It was just for art's sake. But it also felt like it was trying to extend the time out. Another pretentious and misogynistic film. But the thing that upset me more about Cashback than this was you could tell the director was talented. Yeah. Whereas Adam Mason, let's just call him by his name, Adam Mason, f*** you. He's prolific. I wouldn't say he's talented. Adam Mason literally went out of his way to make a one... He probably got told it has to be at least one hour 30, including <laughs> credits, to make it into a DVD. Otherwise, they're not going to bother printing it. So anyway, f*** you, Adam Mason, you piece of shit. Anyway, <laughs> you keep all of that in, by the way. So, yeah, so now the characters... I'm going to call him Prick West, rather than Nick West, because it just seems appropriate. So Prick West and his... Lady Love, the the woman he desires, the woman he one day marry, decides to drop acid in an abandoned asylum and suck each other off in an odd-looking chair in the middle of the room for no good reason. He ends up throwing her, or she ends up falling into the chair, and she's trying to undo her trousers. Do you know she was there for about a good 20 minutes just trying to do one button? It was just so unhealthy, almost. like <laughs> That was just what bothered me, was the uh, unhygienic nature of it all. And how unsexy it is. And oh I God. think, I do kind of wonder, is the actor like best buds with the director? And is it like, is there any way you can set me up with a number of attractive women in, in this film? Because I don't usually get to be in this kind of situation. And the actor has appeared, he appeared in Songbird. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew Howard, was it? Andrew West? Not Andrew West. Uh, Andrew, it doesn't no, Andrew matter. Howard. Andrew Howard, yes. 
Yeah, it's it it does feel like they're kind of in cahoots, but maybe he hired Andrew Howard after seeing Revolver and thinking, "Wow, yeah, what an absolute tour de force he is." Do you think he just went through the cast list of of Revolver from top to bottom to see who he could get in? And this was the first guy to say yes. It's like how uh, in Village of the Damned, they do get rattle shirt from Game of Thrones. So it was like they kept going down and down and down the list. I genuinely would have loved him to try and call Andre 3000 to try and be in this. (laughs) That would have made my year. What the fuck is going on in this chair? Just Adam Mason. You're right, mate. Um, I just want to talk to you about a film I'm making. F***ing love Outcast, mate. Because in my head, Adam Mason is basically Devo. <laughs> anyway, this young woman, who I can't even remember the character's name, she ends up being transported somewhere else in this chair. Meanwhile, the character Prick just lies writhing on the floor, tripping his balls off. Does she disappear? I could have sworn she just stabbed... She's mutilated first. I know she's mutilated, but I don't recall her going to the place that all the other characters go to later on in the film. No, no, she, she did, yeah. She um, did, okay. So, so right. she's mutilated, she ends up appearing in this other realm that I suppose you could almost argue was the layout for the Upside Down in Stranger Things. You could argue that, you'd be wrong, but you can argue it. <laughs> Clear influence. So she appears to be in this, this other realm and something is chasing her and he's still stuck writhing on the floor. Remember kids, drugs are bad. We get the the credits uh, the the opening credits. Where we see Adam Mason's name on multiple occasions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's almost like... Have you ever watched a Neil Breen film? I am aware of Neil Breen. I haven't watched a Neil Breen yet, but I'm aware <sighs> of... Right, we... When, when we're, we've got time to literally sit down together for the first time this year, mm. we you and I need to go through and watch a Neil Breen film, because it will blow your f- Skull open. I want. I've seen enough clips to know what I'm getting into. No, 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 no. You've no idea. You've no idea of the brain. You have no. You have no concept of the brain until you actually sit down and watch it. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into. I have had an idea of us doing a one-year Boab goes abroad, where we take a different film <laughs> from twelve different countries and talk about those and when it comes to american films obviously we'll have a lot to work from but neil breen will be a logical unless he's canadian oh no no he's he's from vegas I think. yes I, I know he's based in vegas yes so yeah we could we could call it bob on the holobobs <laughs> well you know that's what all the uh sitcom films were about that always seemed quite appropriate you know they let's get let's go on holiday okay so now the bob lads go on holiday bob on the holobobs we should change the logo to uh Michael Caine with a sombrero on. <laughs> Change the logo to the three of us. But we we need to find someone who could draw like the old school seventies like movie posters. Yeah. Of us running away from people chasing us with like a deck chair <laughs> and a knotted hanky over Michael's head. Anyway, so anyway, the movie carries on. Nick is now oh, sorry, I called him Nick and Prick is now committed into an actual asylum whilst an elderly nutter keeps tabs on him. Uh, do, do all asylums, are they all just in uh, old country houses? <laughs> always seems to be a common thread in films. It's never like a block of flats. It's never like they've bought, they bought an old po- per- people's residence home and put people in there. It's always a fancy Wayne Manor. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say they can only film in a couple of locations, but... <laughs> the whole film, I think, is filmed in a town in Cambridgeshire. 
That's what yeah. are in the credits. And also, the extras are doing what I noted, the gentle rocking of the acting mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they could... It was almost as if the director literally went, right, remember this. You're a nutter. Now, be a nutter. So just sit on a rocking chair that's not there. <laughs> <laughs> Just rock well, back it, and forth, yeah, and pretend you're catching butterflies with your hand. The thing is, the lead does an even worse thing that you do to show that you... I'm crazy, me! Uh, at one point, you see him spinning on his bum like a little child that's had too much sugar. He's, he's either insane or he's got worms. Either way, I want nothing to do with him. Oh, no, he's excited. He's sliding on his knees. <laughs> <laughs> so, Prick and Doctor are walking around the asylum grounds, and I swear to God, it's some of the worst audio I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, there's a lot of dub. I can hear the footsteps way more than I can the actual characters, and it sounds like they're walking through snow even though it looks like a spring afternoon. Like, even when they sit down at a bench, I can hear the benches creak more than I can hear the people talking. (laughs) So, Prick thinks he's killed this woman, even though there was no body left, and the elderly man has decided to release Prick into his care. Oh, the elderly doctor gentleman. Yeah, the elderly doctor gentleman. We couldn't get Christopher Lee, so let's get a guy who looks a bit like Christopher Lee. Oh my god, the, uh, the little version of Christopher Lee. It's always one of those things I think as well, with because uh, so many great actors who are older, a lot of the time they'll go into retirement. You know, like Ronnie Barker went into retirement when he was in like his late fifties, early sixties, and only did like maybe two things after that. Eric Sykes was another one. A lot of great actors, just when you've made enough, you don't. You know, uh, Gene Hackman, great example. Oh, absolutely. And so that's where these guys, they're like, ha my time to shine. Those that could <laughs> never get the roles in their 15, up, right up to their 60s, and suddenly it's a much shallower pool of talent that they're having to pull from. There's always like that one little old lady that gets cast in every movie for five years where they need a little old lady until unfortunately their time comes. And then it's like, now the next little old lady that's got three or four years left in her, let's cast her in everything. This guy as well, he has this great moment when he's walking with the, like, the head of the asylum, where he's convincing her to put him in his... His care. His care, yes. And he says, just show me where to sign. He then sits down and signs a piece of paper. And like, like, one of the women's go, that's not what you got to sign. That's my <laughs> lunch order. What are you doing? <laughs> That's the cover letter for someone else's CV, you tit. <laughs> First of all, they send a driver to go and pick him up. Yeah. And he argues that he was going to take the bus. Mm. And the, then the this narration always got me. They didn't think much of me only sending one guy. I would have sent a f***ing Uber and made you pay, you prick. <laughs> f***ing hell. And then he gets to Cambridge. And what's the bit of narration? F***ing punts. Welcome to Cambridge. Absolutely f- off Adam Mason, you absolute penis. <laughs> he meets the team in the elderly man's office. Oh, here we go. Gandalf, slut, and he's yeah. half pedo, don't you know? They haven't bothered to make him sympathetic in any way, shape, or form. The lead actor is not charismatic enough to make you care just because it's him. Everyone involved is either incompetent or vile. And that's both in their acting abilities yeah. and in their I characterization. Like, I genuinely feel upset by the opening minutes of this film. And not because it's like controversial or anything, but that's just because it's so fucking bad. Yeah. I always love the, the way that they try to make shorthand to show that these people are like the time or the place that they're trying to evoke, but they just get it so wrong. Uh, Knights of the Damned is the thing I'm probably going to compare this to the most. 
along with Revolver. So Knights of the Dam, to show that you're in a tavern, they have a guy playing an instrument, but they can't get a mandolin or a loom, so it's just an acoustic guitar. So with this <sighs> film, with this film, it's like, how do we show that this man is clever? Let's put lots of books on his desk, lots of old books. <laughs> uh, my office is filled with leather-bound books and mahogany. <laughs> Dr. Willard is the, the name of the, the elderly man. He's revealed to Prick that he's decided to uh, take him away from the asylum to write a book on his episode. Because no one wants to say, bad murder. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's just when, when you listen to, to the character of Nick talk and every single word that comes out of his mouth, you just think, I wish you had VD and that your cock would fall off at this point. Really, I do. One of the things that the director likes to do is to show different settings and different places is by really ramping up and down the colour contrast. But it's not like nowadays where we do have really impressive digital footage that can kind of manipulate everything. Another film we're about to talk about for a different podcast kind of popularised that that style. Mm. But with this, it's literally just like if you were on your telly back in the 1980s, 1990s and pressed colour and contrast up really high <laughs> or really, really low. You know, it's like there's yeah. no... Again, it's like the budgetary limitations. This whole thing looks very shit. And him trying to post-produce it to say something about the different states or something just... It just makes... It just brings to attention its cheapness and its shittiness and its ugliness even more. I think you're giving Adam Mason too much credit. I think what happened was he filmed so much of it on one camera... <laughs> He forgot to rent it out for a few more days. Started filming it on another camera with a different sort of like filming device. He then lost the rent on that. Started filming it with another. So I think he used about six different styles of camera throughout the entire thing. Mashed it together in the edit, and then just went, "Yeah, sure, that looks good for the mise en scene." It reminds me of that story about Tommy Wiseau when he made The Room and he didn't know whether to film it on film or, or digital, so he just so he had two both. cameras side by side yeah. doing it at the same time. Went out and bought the equipment rather than renting it like a f***ing psychopath. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we now meet all the different members of the team that he's going to be introduced to. One which he calls Big Tits, another one he calls Slut. There's Matt Berry, because it's Matt Berry. And there's the old man who keeps calling Gandalf because, oh my god, what a dig that is. Yeah. I'll even put the note here. Matt Berry, not yet reaching full Berry, yeah. enters to save me turning the shit off. So it's it's clear that Matt Berry, I think, has been hired to be like almost the comic relief, almost like the Matthew Lillard yeah. in 13 Ghosts. That is a Just... good comparison point, yeah. Well, that's probably giving this this casting more credit than it deserves as far, yeah, as, far as being thought through. I feel like Perry knew he was in a terrible film. And do you think he did it for like to tell stories afterwards? You think about a lot of really good actors, not comic actors, but really good actors in general, and they've all done some sort of schlocky horror at some point. Mm. It was a paycheck, it got me my first gig, opened some doors for me creatively, and I went in through them, and jobs are good then. So maybe maybe Matt Berry took this as the same thing. I mean, this was his first ever feature-length film role. And then the one he followed this up afterwards, uh, thing, a year or two later, was Moon by Duncan Jones. Wow, <laughs> that's a hell of a step I, up. <laughs> I mean, that's not a step up, that's a full-on leap onto another planet. That's a free solo up of a, 
El Capitan or whatever it is. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's like it's like night and day the difference between those films. Again, some of the more odd choices, like you're supposed to find this lead endearing, but he's calling everything like a bad Scooby Doo. Like he's a really, a really shit half Cockney, half Welsh philosopher. Yeah. I, I mean, some of the some of the writing as well, and it's blatant. Like they think they're writing some f-ing Charles Bukowski or Rorschach in Watchmen. The one yeah. that I made a note of was feces smeared across a crusty sky. Yeah, that's not poetry. That's just wank. Oh, that's just that's just horrible words on a on a on a plate. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty goddamn awful, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> ugh. Anyway. It's like he, it's like he shat out an alphabetic spaghetti, and that's what he. Found. <laughs> <laughs> just ah, uh, that that'll do, I suppose. Yeah, feces and yeah, that was the point where I made a note. This guy's voiceover makes Jason Statham in Revolver sound like he's in a Scorsese film. <laughs> oh my god, if, like I definitely get that vibe now. that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the team arrive at the asylum immediately. Barry makes a quip. I can't even remember what the quip was. I'm just re- literally just reciting my own notes. No, I think Pro- it's what he says is what the girl said in the f- the first time they they went. Him and his girlfriend went at the start of the film, so that caused him to react because it's like <gasps> flashbacks, warm nights, almost left behind. I don't know. It's it, and and again we get more of this freeze frame with yeah. narration over the top bollocks to the point where we're practically drowning in it now. It genuinely makes me angry. Uh, after a while, I was like growling at the screen. Like, I was like a, I was like yes. a dog when a guest comes in the house. After a Absolutely, while. <laughs> it just it made me angry. I like <clears throat> this is the whole point I've made since we started this podcast. I've never got to this point in a film where I'm genuinely, actually offended that it exists, yeah. and I'm angry that I have to watch it. And again, it's like one of those things where what I think what he would have ideally liked to have done would have been to like. Sh- slow the footage down so it's going at like the slow frame rate that you would see in a guy like in revolver when he gets run over and suddenly you know it all goes in super slow motion but he he's, he literally can't do it he doesn't have the production craft available to do it and so he all does the, the vision, cheap alternative all the vision yeah uh, or he and he does the alternative and one of them is genuinely later on it's just like when you pause something on your telly back in the day on a vhs and it's like jutting between two frames it's like and that wasn't a stylistic choice it was like that's the best we can do and i think we've got to submit this to the film festivals tomorrow so we can't get it done just talk over this but it doesn't just talk over this (laughs) say things (laughs) oh then we get a lovely line that i genuinely this might be my say something nice is literally the phrase is no one else concerned that we've come to the scene of a murder with the murderer thank you Thank you, Matt Berry. Sense, and not a moment too soon. <laughs> this is another point I made as well. Like Watching this, you could see a lot of the shifting movements from whoever was filming it. You could see the camera moving, like, shaking. And I think even the cameramen were bored. <laughs> and were just holding it there, and they was hurting their arms like, oh, come on. Is it like that moment when you suddenly wake up when you're on a train? <laughs> oh, Jesus, I'm in a film. That was one thing I noticed. Like, when I notice a continuity error in a film, you know your continuity's terrible. <laughs> Which is where the main, the, the blonde woman, the, the main professor, she has her glasses on when the professor's talking them through everything that was happening. And then there's a, like there's a mid-shot where you can see everyone and he's still talking. And her glasses are clearly up on her head. And it's like, this is like 
fundamental continuity stuff and you're getting this wrong. Yeah. It just shows a lack of professionalism, in all honesty. That I I can notice it is always when you know you're in trouble. I never care about those sort of things and I noticed it. I'm starting to think this movie isn't just like a an attempt to make a movie. I think this is some sort of like money laundering thing. Yeah. That there's no other excuse for it. It's got to be some sort of illegal, shady backdoor business, and that's the reason it got made is to try and filter cash through some other means than just putting it into someone's bank account. Another thing that bugs me a lot of time with cheapo movies, one of the things that's the big problem is they're always in very empty spaces with not many people because you can't afford the extras. You work with what you've got. If it's in one location as well, the better, like this film. One of the things that they did, though, to make it sort of sound more cinematic was they had a background audio of water dripping, but it's all the time. Yeah. Like, and it's clearly like the same five second loop. Of water dripping. <laughs> it's like we get it. It's derelict. You don't have to do this. When you notice it, you can't not notice it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So each of the characters in turn gets to have a go at basically exclaiming, Oh, I don't want to be here. I don't like this. Prick West just sort of rocks back and forth in the corner going, Oh, she died here. And they all sort of make their way to elsewhere in the house or in the asylum, sorry. You, Adam Mason, and Matt Berry decides to test the chair and pretends to be tortured. And the face he pulls when he's pretending to be tortured, genuinely—I don't know if you have you seen the IT crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen the sequence where his character uh, Douglas pretends to lose his hand? Yes, yes. In a stone stone gargoyle, <laughs> he's looking at it quite shocked for like an unnecessary amount of time. It's that exact same face. <laughs> I couldn't not see that. Maybe Graham Linehan was a fan of The Devil's Chair and that's why he cast him. I mean, it wouldn't be the most abhorrent view he holds, if that were the case. After Barry's been in the chair, he used the narration, he won't be laughing for long. Stop doing your own spoilers! Not only are the acoustics so bad that we can't hear the Dr. Willard character, but he's speaking in such a way that he's gone full rada. Yeah. He's he's taken his opportunity. He's waited 50 years of failed auditions to get to this point. (laughs) He was like, oh, I could have been a Roman Egyptian in EastEnders. Instead, I'm this. That is true. Nick West does have the look of a a Mitchell that no one bothers talking about. I could very easily go into the backstory of to why the asylum's there. You know as well as I do. It's, It's a guy that ran the place, went insane, built a portal to hell. There you go. I've just saved you 20 unnecessary f***ing minutes of this film. Prick West decides uh, he's going to take his pills. And he runs off, uh, contemplates suicide, and throws his meds away in the most hammy display I've ever seen. But then Slee watches the walls move, which genuinely was the first interesting thing that I saw happen in, what, 40 minutes at this yeah, point? Yeah, I'm never a fan of CGI being used in horror for special effects when practical effects can be used. Like I said, with the monster, I think they actually do a good job on the CGI and the model effects that they kind of change in between. But I always think of, like, how uh, Nightmare on Elm Street remake, do they recreate the Freddy pushing up against the wall from the 1984 film, but they do it with CGI, and it looks so much worse Ugh. than just having Robert England push against a wall that's been manipulated. I know it costs a lot to get done, and CGI is, you know, it has made a lot of great leaps and bounds in terms of storytelling and cinema, but you've got to really love practical effects. Yeah. I, th- I think in low-budget horror films, is where you want to go for them to still go with 
some ingenuity, some effort into it. You can yeah. do something fun, even with them not being the greatest special effects. If you, you know, uh, I haven't watched the whole film, but I've seen clips of a, a movie called Psycho Gorman, which uses the old monster costumes and makeup, and it looks so good for what is obviously a low-budget film. I've seen that advertised. I really, really want to hunt it down and have a look, because mm. it, it genuinely, it's a nice concept. It's like Colossal, mm. the film a few years ago from with Anne Hathaway. It's a bit like yes. that. Um, but yeah, that sounds... That does sound... Like, should, should we just watch that? <laughs> death this off and go and watch that. Well, let's race through this now, because we've been going longer than I wanted to, to be honest with you. Let's power through a bit yeah, more. Yeah. So, uh, the Doctor unveils that he's writing a book on the bizarre practices that took place in the asylum, including the chair, which can separate the soul from the body. Arse. It separates the arse from the body as well. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> just leaves just a couple of butt cheeks hanging there in the chair. Like, nice. Rachel drags the prick out of the bed to prove that the chair isn't real, only to be tortured by it. And our, and our hero thinks the good idea to do is to grab Rachel and she's covered in blood and then just cut, like, smear the blood all over him. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, God, I'm just going to have to cover myself in your blood to stop predators and poachers. Oh, in hindsight, that's made things worse. Yeah, oh no, now I look like I've killed her. Oh god, it's all, oh god. Oh. Well, I made a rob for my own back here, didn't I? <laughs> oh, this, uh, talk about your classic backfires. I'll be honest with you, I've only got myself to blame here. Uh, Rachel, the, the blonde uh, student. Because they're all supposed to be students in this film. Yeah, I think, and wasn't, wasn't Mr. West's first observation of her was he liked her breasts, I think. Yes, was, yeah. I think that was... That was all the character notes he gave her was breast. <laughs> she then appears in the upside down <laughs> other place, whenever you want to fucking. Which call is clearly it. just the other part of the building. I don't know why they had to go yeah. from one shitty, you know, looking building to another shitty looking building. It's the same building, the same shitty look is just slightly darker. Yeah, he ch- again, he brought the lightness down on the screen as well as the contrast. Then. Obviously, Prick goes to wake everyone up because, you know... This was the moment that I made the note. Okay, Matt Berry is definitely taking the piss. Because what he's wearing in this scene is the shirt that Nigel (laughs) Tufnell wears in Spinal Tap. Jodpers and cowboy boots. (laughs) He wears (laughs) f***ing long johns with a skeleton shirt and cowboy boots. I never will get that image out of my... With quite a prominent bulge, it has to be said. (laughs) Also with the line, have you been handing out the crack pipes? (laughs) Oh, Matt Berry. Anyway, so Rachel's in the upside down. She comes across what I assume is a bin bag. (laughs) That just happens to be writhing around, thinking it to be prick, only to be confronted by a maggot-covered man and a tentacled horror beast. Is the maggot-covered man meant to be prick? It doesn't look like him, because he's got hair. Yeah. I think it just looks like a generic person. Yeah. And then there's the monster. In that moment, I thought, is that a bin bag monster? Because it was just kind of all black at that moment. And I do think it... I wonder if it is one of those things, you know, like how Red Dwarf sets were made from, like, bread trays. <laughs> Maybe that is just like if we put a bin bag here and we put a bin bag here, it's surprisingly... <laughs> it's it, it, it reminds me of, like, the Mighty Boosh whenever they had, like, the villain yes. of the week and it yes. just happened to be, like... A man covered in sandpaper. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, that'll do. There you go. There, you're a beast. If we light now. it dark enough, then it'll be all right. Oh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Matt Berry, it, obviously, when you're wearing long jongs and cowboy boots, you're down to f. <laughs> so he tries to get his end away in the room where two people have died. 
Yeah. <laughs> With the front of me phrase, right, we carry on from where we left off. I've got a right horn on. Did you know about the woman who plays Jessie in this film? I'm guessing Jessie is the uh, the assistant to the professor, the dark-haired one. Yes, yes. Okay. She's a strikingly attractive woman. And yes. it's no surprise that she's kind of been on the cusp of fame all her life. Really, she was in a girl group that never got like a full sign. But what they oh. did record at one point was the sound of the underground. They recorded it before Girls Aloud. Uh, she also was Jensen Button's partner for a long time. And she was in the second series of Fame Academy. And she made like the last eight. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That they made more than one. Exactly. <laughs> she looked at the level of success that Fame Academy brought and thought, I want a piece of that. <laughs> <laughs> I want a piece of that mediocrity, please. It hap- It worked for Lamar. It's going to work for me. The only thing I can remember about Lamar now was the episode of Pop World where they interviewed Lamar from afar, where they were on opposite ends of a car park with megaphones. Jesse coaxes Matt Berry's character into the chair and he also vanishes. She starts smiling when he vanishes. So, oh my God, there's a plot. Mm. And Matt Berry's character appears in the upside down. Here's a phone ringing, but the film is filled with maggots. Yeah. I, I even put the note here: was this before or after Dark Place? It's hard to pin down. Yeah. Uh, what I love as well: we got a scene coming up now where where West is with the professor, and West says there must be some kind of get out clause. It's like get out clause. What? Like buying a mattress? What are you talking about? Oh god. Uh, anyway, next decided to go through the portal to save the other two. He also makes some like really low rent bad guy quips to to like an unnecessary point. And it just it feels Oh and he gives and he gives Jesse a wink at one point as well. Is there any woman he can't pull thanks to this script? I know. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, we know you're trying to be the hero. Don't be a <laughs> about it. And stop saying <laughs> while you're at it. <laughs> it's contagious. <laughs> hey. But then it turns out, oh my god, when he goes through the portal. The Doctor was in on it the whole time. Oh my god. And this is one of the first moments where I was got, like the director's smugness was getting too much for me at that point because they had that freeze and in the narrator voice over going, you never saw that coming, eh? Yeah. Yes, Fuck very you. easily. Fuck you, Adam the pro- Mason. The professor in all of these has always got an ulterior motive and we've already seen that the assistant is with him in that so, no, this was not a surprise at all. And then anyway. if, if the director says that was a point, fuck you with you, that was the point as well. Fuck you, Adam Mason, you piece of shit. <laughs> Prick West, now down to his vest, is now in the other place. Prick West, down to his vest. <laughs> yeah. He's now in the other place looking for Rachel and Matt Berry, I guess. So, Berry cuts his hand, which summons oh, yes. the monster. So, I think it's distracted to blood or whatever. What I do love as well is Matt Berry says there could be anything behind that door. And she says, don't be ridiculous. You literally just encountered a bin bag monster. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, there could uh, be anything behind this door. Don't be ridiculous. No, you don't be f***ing ridiculous. We're <laughs> in hell. I also feel so sorry for actors in these sort of films when they're just covered in blood for large chunks of it. Because you know they spent days drenched in that horrible sort of corn syrupy thing oh, that God, they can yeah. It's got to be sticky as fuck at that point as well. Horrible. Anyway, Matt Berry, you think he, he gets caught by the monster, you think he's a goner. But no way, he's just been blinded and most of his hair's been ripped out for some f***ing reason. Palmy wants to imagine that Berry's been wearing a wig all this time and that's what his actual hair looks like. 
He's like, he's like some of it fell off. He's like, ah, oh, f- just film it. Anyway, so the doctor in the normal side of life stabs his assistant as a blood sacrifice to the demon in the other place because nothing is sacred. There are no friends, and everyone's gonna kill you. <laughs> So then Prick finds the other girl. They decide to take off their clothes because they're covered in blood and that's what the demon's after. Any excuse to get them topless, I guess. Mm. Then we see the demon's face and it looks like a horse's head from a butcher's shop. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's like, nah, I should have kept that in the darkness more. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, come on now. Come on, this is one of the few things I'm complimenting your film for having. <laughs> <laughs> and then you do this. Yeah. But this is around the time when I made the note as well. Does the director think he's above all this? Because the commentary becomes even more and more meta. Yeah, the narration starts going meta unnecessarily. It doesn't deserve to be meta. Mocking the film itself and mocking us for watching it. The Doctor then appears just in time to stop his assistant being eaten. He recites some incantation, prick narrate some awful shit or something and then then we get the line look at this poorly written badly acted yeah. bullshit yeah fuck you adam mason that was fuck you and your fucking stupid fucking face it's one of two things either he thinks he's doing a great genre deconstruction along the lines of what revolver thought it was or it's always that thing that you hear the stories that when they have the assembly cut for the first time and the director's horrified at what it is that they filmed uh, the other part of me was like, maybe he saw the assembly cut and thought, there's no way you can salvage this. I've got to abandon ship and try and claim no- <laughs> this was deliberate. That this was an ironic mm, experimentation. That I'm making a horror version of Funny Games. That's what I've been doing all this time. And it was, it was, it's the audience's fault. It's, I, I deliberately got this bad actor. It's not that he was the only guy I could afford. But that was the moment, I think that was the moment where I texted you and I was just like, fuck the director. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you, Adam Mason, you fucking snake. And there was also another moment. I, and again, I wouldn't be surprised if this was the director. There was a line: "My mother used to say the weak always try to subvert the strong." And I was like, "What? His mum was Ayn Rand." <laughs> Whenever there's someone like that, I always think, "Ah, you're probably into Ayn Rand," because this guy thinks he's the shit, and he thinks he's above this. Absolutely. Or he's trying, like I said, he, he thought he was above it. Turned out he made a film that was as bad as that. And now he's trying to find some way of... It's like again like Tommy Wiseau. Oh, it was always meant to be a comedy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he made like a 65, 80 minute film. And then when people watched it, they just went, oh, this is shit. He went, ah, no, no, it's not done yet. Let mm. me show you the finale. <laughs> mm. And then went out and filmed this last bit of last minute. So... Here we go. Oh. This is where it gets really unpleasant, like even more unpleasant. This is just. Ugh. This is yeah. So, the tough guy gets pinned up against the wall while the el- by the elderly man, which seems unlikely, and then Prick ends up headbutting him, until it turns out, oh my god, they've pulled the Fight Club. It's all in his head, and he's actually just literally brutally attacked everyone in the team back in the normal asylum, yeah. and that he's genuinely a psychopath. That killed people there. Yeah. You know what the start where it makes you think he didn't really murder the girl and she vanished? He fucking murdered her. Yeah. They had the proof and that's why they arrested him and put him into asylum. And then he went ahead and slaughtered everyone. Yeah. He then wakes up and it happens to be that he's in the middle of raping one of the women. Oh, that's... Yeah. Ugh. Covered in blood, the pair of them. He then... When she starts to get away, he 
literally just starts hacking away at them with an axe that just happens to be there. It's one of the longest ten minutes of a film I've ever experienced in my life. It, so unnecessarily long. And so smug about itself. Then you like flashback right to the start, before he starts the killing spree. And he says to the woman that he's raping at one point, there never was a fucking chair. Crash zoom! it might as well have gone dun 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 exactly just you you don't deserve this fucking payoff you piece of shit fuck you Adam Mason so what I don't grasp is did they think he hadn't done it and had brought him back there for all this or has he just picked random people out to kill them again I don't understand the notion because if there never was a chair surely fucking police reports would say there was no chair at this place I think he faked insanity yeah. Or he is insane. And they wanted to study that level of insanity. They knew there wasn't a chair there. They wanted to help him see that. So we see the error of his ways and realise he's just a murderer. But instead, he used that to sort of fuck them over and kill them and get away in their car. It's just vile. I also, uh, throughout the whole film, you can tell they're filming day for night. And how they're like, thank fuck, we can just film it in the day. Oh my god, it's just so... Interesting that you don't see any of him murdering Matt Berry or murdering the Professor, but they really want a long period of him torturing, raping, murdering the two women in it. He takes to the Professor with an axe, but you only see the footage of that from a window in a door mm. whilst you're looking at Rachel's reaction, and Matt Berry is just already dead. Yeah, I assumed he had to go off and do something infinitely better, so they just killed him off quickly and let him be. Yeah. Just go psycho, hacks them all to death. She's trying to crawl away, and then there's like a, a barricaded door. I don't know how he found the time to barricade it during this time. And also, given how many windows there are in this building, it's not the only way she could have got out. She can't fight back. She even tries to pick up like a piece of pipe to try and whack him with, and she hasn't got the, the energy to take it to him. It's just unpleasant. Yeah, he rips out a piece of a fucking neck with his teeth, Ugh. spits him out, and then... Hops into the car. Air kisses someone who he thinks, I think, is her. Or I think he's his original girlfriend. Yeah, I couldn't tell. That was the weird thing. I couldn't tell. Just generic blonde woman. And then you see him just air kissing. And then he drives off. Don't forget, no, don't forget that she's talking in backwards. And his voice has been manipulated to go down super low. So it's Lynchian. That's what it is as well. It's David Lynchian. So it makes you believe that maybe he is the demon all along. Yeah. Yeah. This is the modern day Twin Peaks. Fire walk with me. This is this is this is as underappreciated as that was in its initial release. If this is modern day Lynchian horror, can I go into like a six year hibernation until it gets better? <laughs> so yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that's the devil's chair. That's it. It it ends on that note, literally. He's slaughtered everyone, he's driven off. That's the end. I smell a sequel. There are so many low-budget horror films that are worth your time. Yeah. This just happens to be like a turd in the swimming pool. It's just, it's got such an unpleasantness to it. Like I said, the ones that I never feel that bad shitting on are the ones where there's just a mean streak or a pretentious streak or a misogynistic streak in it. And this has all three of them. So it is like that perfect storm of what of, of films I have no shame shitting on. I don't even mind if you say we spent the last hour or so talking about a film and, and this week I... I don't think this guy necessarily even deserves to have credit. I, maybe you can give him credit for just keeping on. He constantly keeps getting work. Like, he makes films every other year or so after this. So shall we say something nice about the film? Because I claim mine. The score is actually quite good. It's fairly repetitive, but the low cello sound... 
is like you could listen to that in isolation and think, oh, this could soundtrack a, a good film. Yeah, like I was surprised when I saw the the credit list at the end of Mortis, mm. a semi popular Norwegian black metal musician, was was involved in the score. So that 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 was a surprise. The song over the end credits was quite good as well. I think. Was it? I I, I didn't <laughs> say something good. Special effects of the monster. No. No. Nope. It was a bimbag monster with a <laughs> horse head face. Um, Matt Berry appeared in it. I suppose that's the only thing I can genuinely say. They wasted Matt Berry. Matt Berry can do so much, and they wasted him. I would love to interview Matt Berry just about this film. <laughs> just about this? Like, can I pick your brains? What the f*** were you thinking, man? You know what? I bet most of his stories are, I hated it. How would you make it better? Uh, it's just it's, it's typical genre stuff. There's probably good versions of this exact same story. Just don't have this guy who directed and wrote it and edited it anywhere near it. How can you make this better? Ban Adam Mason from all film working jobs in the history of time, forever, and space. Literally. How can you make this better? Every single element could be made better. Yeah. Every single particle of this film. But the, the bare bones, the ones that you have to strip away first, the skeleton that you have to destroy is the writing. And that lands purely at Adam Mason and Simon Boy's door. Fuck you both. Especially you, Adam Mason. Fuck you, you so did you read more into this then it seems like you had more to say or was that all you wanted to get off your chest again or that that was it that was just it it was just absolute fucking dog's bollocks from the first not it wasn't the dog's bollocks it was a dog's bollocks Uh, just from the ground up everything about it the the editing was piss poor the writing was fucking atrocious the direction was horrendous the camera work was bad the acting was schlocky at best you had a a leading man who you couldn't like enjoy or respect there's your problems there's your downfalls none of the characters had any redeeming likable qualities about them no one i I couldn't have cared one fucking jot if any one of them had died i felt very sorry for the, the three female actors in this film absolutely in fact here's a positive that i'll say about it not one of them had to expose a nipple yeah that's true they were allowed to keep at least some of their tops on yeah. that they were misogynized. Mm. I mean, he calls one of them a slut. He calls the other one big tits. Oh, this one's super sexy. That's not really much else I can say about it. There's misogyny there, but at the same time, at least they didn't have to show bush. At least they didn't have to go full frontal nude. Mm. They allowed them to keep their clothes on for most part. And all right, fair enough. There's at least that. But that's like not even praise. That's just like you know. Yeah, that should just be entry level understood. Not even up for the. Debate. It's like that great Chris Rock routine about people wanting credit for stuff they're supposed to do. You know, I take yeah. care of my kids. You're supposed You're to. You're supposed to. You dumb motherfucker. That's it. That's all I can. I'm like, how to make this film better? I have a completely different film with completely different people at the helm. Yeah. So now it's time for. Hey you! Don't watch that. Watch this. Tom. Anything. <laughs> Literally anything. Literally watch anything. Anything at all. Grab a pot of Dulux paint, smack it on the wall, and watch it. Randomly pick one of the films we've covered for Bowob, and it's very, very likely you'll see a better film. You know what you want to do? Throw a dart in the air and watch where it lands. That's it. Instantly better. Because I'm not a horror aficionado, I don't really have a great example of an equivalent film for you to watch. But because Matt Berry's in this, and because, like I said, it reminded me of moments of it in a bad way, 
I'll say watch Garth Marenghi's Dark Place because it's yeah. one of the great. I think it's the UK's equivalent of Police Squad. Only six episodes, but every one of them's a masterpiece, and everyone involved has gone on to do great work as well. It's ridiculous, but it knows it's ridiculous yeah. for a good reason. Yeah. I mean, the whole... Every element of Dark Garth Marenghi's Dark Place just made me happy as a young kid. The, the comedy is on point. Yeah, if I could go back in time to any Edinburgh Fringe and see any show, I think the, the show that... the Either of the Garth Marenghi shows, probably the one that won the Perrier, I would probably... That would be in like my top three. I would probably see either that or maybe one of Daniel Kitson's first shows before he became, you know, the figure that he is now. Yeah, or, the, uh, um, the, yeah. The, the cult hero. Or maybe like if Bill Hicks ever did the Edinburgh Fringe, maybe. Even though, you know, I, I went through my Bill Hicks phase, but to have seen him live be interesting. It's probably preaching to the choir with that, but, you know, just watch it again. <laughs> I might yeah. I might watch it tonight just to r- wash the stink off of this film. Literally any horror film that you've ever seen in the history of time or space ever, literally go back and watch that instead. If you want to give me some recommendations for low-budget horror films that I might like from the UK, then you can do so, but be forewarned. If it's anything, if it's a degree of the devil's chair in it, you and I shall be enemies for the rest of our lives. Get in touch with me at Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple N for November. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, if you put in at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Tom, how can people get in touch with you? Well, this this movie was suggested to me, so maybe don't get in touch. <laughs> no, absolutely do get in touch with me. Tom Hodkinson on all the socials. I'm also running comedy nights. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, we're getting ready to start them again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, for any of the comedy nights, look for the Kamikaze Club. That's at the Kamikaze Club or kamikazeclubhq at gmail.com should you want to email us at all. You seem to have big expanding plans for that in the future as well, which sounds quite exciting. Oh, oh yeah, we do. There's there's some interesting shit coming up. Keep an eye on our Facebook and Twitter pages. We've got some. We got a lot of tasty shit coming your way. Sounds exciting. And also, if you want to suggest any other movies that you think we should watch, because, again, this was purely on the suggestion of someone that we know, hit us up at Pod over on our Twitter page, and it's Boab Podcast. Yep, at gmail.com. Should you have any suggestions of films you'd like to hear our opinions on? So, our next Boab film is one that might actually give this one a running in, in a different way, because this is a Michael suggestion, and boy, boy, I'm looking forward to him hosting and justifying this pick. <laughs> our next film, in sometime in either late September or early October will be Mrs. Brown's Boys the Movie. Oh, D-apostrophe movie. Yes, but in the interim, we're going to have a little mini-series for you that was recorded a bloody long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pandemic. You you always keep us on our toes. Well, it definitely kept the distributors of No Time to Die on their toes because we've been holding off and holding off because we wanted to release them in the build-up to No Time to Die being released at the cinemas. Tom and myself, about a year ago, genuinely about a year ago. Yeah, it was uh, at least a year ago, if not longer. We brought in a series of our friends, podcasters, comedians, and so on, to take it in terms without Michael, because Michael wanted nothing to do with this. (laughs) (laughs) Michael does not care for Bond. Talking about four of the worst Bond films, as far as reputation goes. And we started off with the final Sean Connery Eon version of the Bond films, the one that when it came out the year of its release managed to lose out to the On the Buses movie in the UK box office. (laughs) It's uh, Diamonds Are Forever. And for that, we are being joined by the comedian, podcaster, and circus performer, 
Aaron Twitchin. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I think you'll have a, a fun time listening to that as well. And watching films that, I mean, Bond has its has its faults, but there's genuinely not been a Bond film as misogynistic as, as The Devil's Chair was. I think. Well, I don't know actually. <laughs> I have to think about. No, it. no. There's there's, there's literally. <laughs> Nothing worse. So that will be coming out. So you'll get you'll be getting some weekly output because after that it will be Octopussy with the wonderful Mary Flanagan. Then it is Die Another Day with Sweet Andy Hughes of the Dinosaur Man podcast. And finally, we rounded it off with Quantum of Solace with the fantastic Tom Mayhew, Aaron Twitchin, Mary Flanagan, Andy Hughes, and Tom Mayhew all on the guest. I think we've nailed it with the guest. Yeah, yeah we've definitely surpassed our own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah our own drawing capabilities you know yeah we're now blacklisted by all these people but we got them in for one episode so there's that imagine if we got any of them to watch the devil's chair <laughs> <laughs> i don't think anyone should have to have to watch the devil's chair i want this film burnt are you gonna give them a concession or are you not now in our in our outro well, well, song it's here, up to you it's up here's to you. the thing here's the thing so the when we end every episode, we always say, "Oh, these people have put together a budget. They, you know, they they put all the time and their effort. They made a, a script. They got a cast together. They actually, you know, made a film. They distributed it and then released it." No, 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 no. There is nothing I have ever done, or will ever do, that could come close to the atrocities of this fucking movie. So. F- all right, so Tom, can you think of something you've done in the last week that's a greater contribution to society than than this film? I literally farted last week. That's a great fucking <laughs> contribution than this piece of shit. Adam Mason, if you fuck you, Adam Mason, fuck you, Adam Mason, you fucking cock. Well, when I tell you about who our next interview is for a bonus episode, it's going to get really awkward. <laughs> I will fuck him up, Bob. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Except for you, Adam Mason. You animation, you animation, you animation.